All right. We have our scripture reading today. And I'm, I'm going to read through this a couple of times. Uh, the first just to just a normal read through, and then the second, I'll, I'll talk about that here in a second. This is from Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, the second time I'm going to read through, I'm going to read through just a little bit slower, and I'd love for you to just kind of take a second here to, to breathe and uh, just re really listen to the words of the scripture as I'm reading it over you. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On a cold December night in 2010, it was actually the, the first snowstorm of that season. Nanette and I walked by a beautiful, historic park in St. Louis to a little cafe that was known for chocolate drinks and desserts and things of that nature. This night for us had the potential to be a very special night because of a question that I planned to ask. But as is, you probably know what question that might be, but as is the case with many special things, a bit of trepidation healthy dose of nerves accompanied me. I was planning to propose to Nanette that night, and I was quite nervous. I mean, I hoped she would agree, and I thought she probably would, but we've all seen those uh, devastating videos of marriage proposals gone terribly wrong in very public places. And while I wasn't planning to propose in public per se, my plan did involve risk. I, I was planning to propose in a snowy park on a very cold night, which for me is an ideal environment, but not for everybody. Anyway, I had a big question to ask and I was nervous. I even excused myself during dessert, went to the bathroom and made a last minute phone call to a good friend for a bit of a pep talk before I popped the question. <laughs> I know. It's embarrassing, but it's true, it happened. I was nervous though because I was asking a question of another individual who had personal agency. She had every right to deny my request and if she did, I couldn't change that outcome, I knew that. 
It's a vulnerable position to be in, even if you're fairly confident in the outcome. There is, generally speaking, a vulnerability in asking something of somebody else that acknowledges, on some level, a lack of personal control. And I actually think that sort of vulnerability is an important part of the life of prayer. Perhaps this is one of the reasons we are encouraged throughout our scriptures repeatedly to incorporate that sort of vulnerability in prayer. Jesus himself repeatedly invites his followers to present petitions, to ask for God's help for specific things in prayer. And I think in part, this is to welcome us deeper into trusting relationship. I, I want to explore some of these ideas today. We, we return to the Sermon on the Mount. The next section we are going to look at in Matthew 7 is a total of five verses. We're going to spend two weeks there. So I promise we will conclude this series on the Sermon on the Mount before the end of the year. I know we've camped out here for quite some time, but I think this is actually an okay place to camp out for a while. So we're returning to Matthew 7, picking it up in verse 7, where Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Ask Seek, knock. We find an invitation here into a life of petition, an invitation that seems to intensify with these rapid-fire imperatives, ask, seek, knock. Some scholars suggest that this intensification in these verbs could be almost likened to a child who, if a parent is near, within um, earshot or is visible, the child may just simply ask. If a parent isn't near, they seek, look for that child. If a parent is inaccessible, say, behind a closed door, the child might knock. But all of that done in order to ultimately present a request or make that ask. There's this growing intensification or or a growing sense of urgency in the activity. Ask, seek, knock. Other scholars suggest that these three verbs actually sort of outline the development of the spiritual life that occurs in prayer. Tyler Staten put it like this, that prayer is a journey that often starts with need and ends in relationship. And I think there is probably some truth to that. There's some truth to that in my experience. We could think of that development from infancy into adulthood. As infants, you know, we have needs. Some of you are raising infants now, and you are in the thick of this. 
We have needs as infants. We cry for help, not even aware of what's happening. As we grow and develop, those innate, automatic cries for help slowly begin to shift into coherent speech and eventually, hopefully, into trust and joyful relationship. I think for many, this is the goal of raising children, that when they are adults, there will be relational connection. In this way, that development occurs. Ask, seek, knock. Asking, that first imperative, might have our need as its immediate reference point. So we begin from a place of need, much like an infant crying out for help. This, of course, is a universal human, human phenomena. Regardless of how privileged we are or may not be, life always has a way of shaking things up, destabilizing, disorienting, confronting us with our great need. And in these moments, we are often led to prayer, and I think rightly so, led to prayer because of our need. We ask God for help in specific ways. Ask. Seek, the next verb, then could refer to not a gift that we are after, but could have God as its reference point. We seek not a thing or a gift, but God alone. This is common descriptive language used throughout our scriptures. We see it in a place like, it's throughout the Psalms and, and even the prophets. Here, here's a small example from Psalm 27. The psalmist writes, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. This language points not just to the gifts God might extend to us, but to God's very presence. Our most serious and vital need is the presence of our God, not the gift, but the giver of the gift. So ask, seek, knock. Again, if we're thinking about this framework of the development of the spiritual life that occurs in prayer, ask, seek, Knock. Finally, knock. Some suggest that image depicts hospitality, a sense of dwelling, or table fellowship. Being welcomed in after knocking on a door is often an invitation to enjoy time together. And truly, I think this is the heart of the life of prayer, to be with God. And so we can pray with Julian of Norwich, God of your goodness, Give me yourself, for you are enough for me. That is a prayer that I, I believe is always answered because the presence of Jesus is as close as our next breath with us in each moment, dwelling in us always in every circumstance. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough for me. Ask, seek, knock. So those are just two ways that people have understood these imperatives. However we choose to interpret these ascending imperatives, one thing I think seems certain, and that is that Jesus is inviting us to present our requests to God. And this is not the first or last time 
He invites his followers into this sort of a conversational relationship with the Father, one that includes petition for very real needs. It's not even the first time in this sermon. We actually prayed together a moment ago words from this sermon that include a petition of this nature, the famous Lord's Prayer, which the children are beginning to work through today. We are instructed, taught, to ask God for our daily bread, to ask for provision for the specific needs I experience in this moment. And while we find that prayer provides a framework that certainly includes asking, chapter 7 then seems to, in a way, open the floodgates. Ask. Well, about what? Well, everything. What's on your mind? What's on your heart? Ask and keep on asking. This is a part of a conversational relationship with God. If even you as humans know how to give good gifts to children, how much more does your Father in heaven give good gifts when you ask? John Stott suggested that prayer of this nature is the chief means God has ordained by which we express our deepest desires. And I think that's an important part of the spiritual life. There is something about our expression of our deepest desires to God in prayer that not only helps us explore our interior lives, which I think is incredibly important and a huge benefit in prayer. As I am expressing my deepest desires, I begin to get in touch with what is going on in here and what's going on in here in a way that I may not be able to without that. But it not only helps us explore our interior lives, expressing our desires to God in prayer, I think also nourishes an intimate relationship with God. The more I engage in this sort of prayer, instead of maybe defaulting to avoidance or trepidation, we are confident because trust has been established over the years. I don't ask Nanette questions now in the same way I did that December of 2010. There's been a lot of relational trust that has developed. am confident in her love regardless of her answer to a question I may pose. There's trust. You know, several weeks ago, we sang that classic hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I want to read through that opening lyric. We sang together, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. What a Privilege to Carry Everything to God in Prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So Jesus invites us into this relational connection. We pray. We ask. We make requests precisely because we are in relationship. This is a part of who we are, these needs that we experience. And so we bring those to God in prayer. We express our deep desires to God in prayer. And the expression of our deepest desires doesn't have to devolve into a completely self-centered or self-obsessed exercise. There is that danger, but it doesn't have to. 
It's one of the primary means of nourishing the interior life and developing intimacy with Christ. There's something about asking a question. I think, again, because of that vulnerable position that it puts us in, there's something about asking that deepens relational bonds. As I face my own vulnerability, I come to terms with that. I face my own lack of control in the situation. I, I don't ask or make requests in prayer as a means of exercising control. I ask, I make requests as a path into trusting relationship. I think about our kids who the last time I checked, they still held the record, world record, for the most questions asked in a 10-minute car ride on the way to church. Juxtapose that eagerness to ask with a hesitancy they may feel asking, say, an employee a question at a store. They're very comfortable, very comfortable asking us questions. They have walked through enough of that vulnerable asking to trust that our love for them remains and is strong regardless of the outcome, regardless of whether we say yes or no to a particular question. There's that trust that has been nourished. This is one of the things I love about Jesus' treatment of prayer in the sermon. Again, in chapter 6, we find a very straightforward and specific model. Pray like this. Maybe even use these words. We routinely talk about and incorporate this type of prayer in our gatherings. I know many of you do so in your personal prayer practice as well. We pray prayers of those who have gone before us, most notably the prayers of Jesus, but also the prayers of the saints who have gone before us because like the disciples who Jesus is instructing, we also need help learning how to pray well. We often need help breaking, at, I know I do, help breaking out of the feedback loop in our minds that keeps us stuck, praying always and only for the same worry or the same need. We, we want to be opened up to a rich life of prayer that is much more expansive than just this particular immediate need. However, prayer also includes petition for that immediate need because that is a part of me. And in prayer, I am bringing my entire self to God, expressing all my thoughts, all my feelings, all my needs, my worries, and anxieties. I believe this is how Jesus has taught us to pray. It's modeled throughout our scriptures Prayer has always included, for God's people, requests that God might meet our need. Since the beginning, God's people have prayed like this. So this is what I want us to spend the rest of our time exploring. If Jesus taught us to pray like this, and we find it modeled throughout our scriptures, why are we at times hesitant to do so? I think there are several reasons at least several reasons that I wrestle with, and that there are probably many more, but I think these are fairly common, and perhaps you have struggled with them as well. 
The first one, we'll explore in more detail next week, but it's just that sense that it doesn't matter, that, that prayer isn't actually accomplishing anything, it doesn't make a difference. Maybe God isn't even listening or doesn't care about this particular need as evidenced by the fact that I pray a lot of times and seem to only hear silence. Again, we'll, we'll hold off on treating that one until next week. I will say this, though. If we trust Jesus, we, we hear him invite us into this type of prayer, so we trust that it actually does mean something. It actually is an important part of the prayer process. We'll return to that idea next week. We also might hesitate to ask, thinking that constantly asking about my needs actually seems pretty self-absorbed. Like I pray for finding an iPhone that I misplaced while children starve. Really? <laughs> or, or I pray for a sore muscle while there are millions who are facing threats of violence and war every day. That seems pretty nearsighted. Pretty myopic, maybe really selfish. And to be fair, if Praying for my needs is the only prayer or describes even the majority of my prayers, then yes, my prayers are probably far too self-centered. One of the problems, though, I think with that line of thinking is that if we put this pressure on ourselves of only praying prayers that seem virtuous, or if I insist on only asking for those grand tragic global needs, petitioning God only for the most virtuous of needs. I think we not only severely underestimate the greatness of God, thinking, well, surely he only cares about the really big problems in the world, but I think we also um, restrict our lives of prayer even to the point of desolation. Because there is always going to be a need on a global scale that is surely greater than this need I am praying for now. Like, can I even pray for children in our own city who are being abused and neglected? Or is that too nearsighted? That's too close to home. Can, can I even pray for refugees who are displaced? Or is extreme poverty and the need for clean water a greater, more pressing issue, thus a more virtuous prayer. And if I insist on only praying for things that seem really virtuous, wh where does that process end? Where does that take me? I, I think it leads to a, a rather desolate life of prayer. I, I want to suggest today, yes to all of that and more. God sees and, and cares about it all. The grandest of problems in our world, of course. But also, God sees and cares about and feeds the birds of the air, Jesus said in this sermon. Or consider the lilies in the field. God sees and cares about you today. And yes, in, in the grand cosmic scale, it seems rather insignificant, but this is the promise we have from Jesus. The large-scale evils people face today around our globe and the difficulty you face today, those are not mutually exclusive when it comes to God's care. 
Now, I think there's an important reminder here uh, when it comes to prayer in general. And that is this, that prayer is a vast world that we explore the rest of our lives and never reach an end. We explore it the rest of our lives and never investigate it all. It is a life of prayer, a life of communing with God that we are after, not arriving at a destination. And so I would encourage you today, don't limit your prayers to a single type of prayer, whether that's spontaneous or pre-written prayers. I think we need it all. Don't limit your prayers by scale of magnitude, sort of the grand cosmic needs versus your personal needs, the things that are on your mind, the things you are struggling with and wrestling with, your specific needs. A deep life of prayer, I think, includes it all. So we pray with a wide lens, and we pray with a narrow lens. In, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul, of course, addressing a group of Christians who are facing really difficult circumstances. And like Jesus, Paul invites his brothers and sisters into this sort of prayer. Prayer, lifting requests to God for all of it not limiting it. In verse 6, he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything at all, but in everything. Reminiscent of what Jesus taught earlier in the sermon. Don't be anxious about anything at all, but instead bring your deepest desires, your deepest needs to the Father in prayer. Let your requests be made known. Are you anxious? Hurting? Sick? in despair, I think Jesus invites you to bring that deep need to the Father in prayer, asking for help for all of it, inviting God into that vulnerable experience. Now, we might ask, well, if God is all-knowing, as we sang together this morning, if God knows what I need, why do I need to ask? And that's a question that I have wrestled with from time to time. It's not one that I have moved beyond necessarily. It's one that I struggle with. But I think it's a question that could reveal that I still have much to learn about a life of prayer. Because even in our asking, prayer is ultimately about a deepening communion, developing trust, moving into participation in the life God offers. Prayer is not informative, I, I don't think. Like I'm calling up customer service and explaining the specific situation so that hopefully that representative can find a solution. That's not how we understand prayer. Prayer is not, I'm not informing God of my situation. Even in my asking, it is about developing a trusting relationship. We bring it all 
to the Father in prayer. Again, I'll return to something Tyler Staten wrote in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. It was a book that was used in coordination with the most recent module of Practicing the Way as we explored the prayer practice. So I know several of you have read this book. Uh, He said this, talking about requests and specifically in the context of the Lord's Prayer. He said, right in the middle of a prayer, as cosmic as hallowed be your name, as apocalyptic as your kingdom come, as contrite as forgive us, and as spiritual as deliver us from the evil one, Jesus includes the unavoidably practical, circumstantial, and immediate, give us today our daily bread. Sort of gives us a window into the vast world of prayer one that we explore the rest of our lives. This is one of the reasons our kids' ministry leadership team is incorporating those refrigerator magnets that Eli talked about a moment ago that will include a new prayer or a new type of prayer each week throughout this summer as we work through the Lord's Prayer curriculum to assist families in learning together how to pray well that our children, even at a young age, might discover, begin to discover the riches of vibrant life with God, where everything is on the table. The deepest parts of who I am are brought before God because there is a trusting relationship. We'll continue this conversation next week. This is what I want to end with for today. Despite hesitancies we may feel, specifically when it comes to prayer where we include requests or petitioning God for specific needs, despite questions that remain, questions that, and I don't want to be discouraging, but questions that I think will probably always remain. Despite the danger that prayer might become selfish or worse, that prayer might be used in ways that try to harness control are very real dangers. Despite all of those dangers, I think we still have to acknowledge that Jesus repeatedly, repeatedly invites us into a relationship with God where we make our requests known to petition the Father, to even be persistent and relentless in our asking. This is a part of being people of prayer which is something I hope to become, a person of prayer. And that's my hope, my prayer for you, that we all together as a community and individually, that we would become people of prayer, learning how to pray well. So I want to invite you today again into the loving care of our God. I want to invite you again under the attentive eye of our God into the inviting nature of our Father. Invitation, welcome, acceptance that we find demonstrated beautifully in the meal that we share together. So I want to invite you to stand as we prepare to approach the table of our Lord. Steve, would you mind helping me serve? We'll make two lines down these center aisles. 
when you get to the front, you'll hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. You can take those elements on your own and return to your seat. I want to say a prayer for us by way of invitation. Lord Jesus, as we reflect upon the words that you have given us in this sermon, words that in part teach us how to pray well, we pause in this moment to remember your invitation to ask. Comforted by the reminder and the promise that you care for us. That you see us and know us. You know the ins and outs of our specific circumstances. We are comforted by that thought. May we gain strength again to continue entering into a relationship with you where our deepest needs and desires are brought before you. Lord, increase our trust as we commune with you. And now, O oh God, the strength of the weak and the comfort of sufferers strength of the weak comfort of sufferers. Mercifully accept our prayers and grant to your people the help of your power that our sicknesses may be turned to health and our sorrow into joys. Look upon us with the eyes of your mercy. Comfort us with a sense of your goodness. Preserve us from temptations and troubles and give us patience when our afflictions persist. We ask these things with trusting hearts that know you desire what is good for us and that you will overcome evil with good. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Amen. Would you join us at the table of our Lord?